Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And before it was called food prep, it was called leftovers. <laughs> what, what's your hot take on food prep, Danica? I know you have strong feelings. <laughs> Do you have an hour? Uh, no, I, I, here's the thing. I, I, it's good. I'm all about it. I guess in my mind, when it gets put into the realm of either something new and that's like, you do that for specific fitness or weight loss. Like that's where I get kind of like, that's a very trendy kind of style. But to me, if I brought the same dish three and four days in a row, I was looked at as poor. Like, and I, I couldn't like, we, we it, like, Oh, beans again. Oh, you know, a sandwich again or salad again. It's like, you all right. Um, it's, it's what I had. It's I'm using up my ingredients. So that's, that's my short take on a very long, long issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about, what about you? Are you, are you a food prepper? Oh, Tamika, you know, I don't cook. <laughs> Are you a food chopper? Do you just chop items together? And <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think, I think there is like this this culture of efficiency yeah. that that people love, and I think that's where this like food prep comes from. It's like an efficient, easy <laughs> meal you have all week. I can't fault people for wanting to bring food from home for their meals yeah. into it. I love it. That is not the lifestyle I live. <laughs> <laughs> and which unfortunately does mean that you usually my husband is spending a lot of time cooking each meal. Mm. And that's kind of just the way that it is in our house. Or- <laughs> You know, the days that I work from home, my whole lunch break is me cooking and then very quickly eating. (laughs) But I think that's, I'm just not into, I'm not into a a food prep situation. Everyone who I've ever known who does it is like, you know, chicken and vegetables for the week. And that is not. That's not your thing. That's not my thing. (laughs) I need, I need a little bit more palate in my food. And, you know, so here's the thing. I actually do, I guess in my mind, I do a amount. I'll make breakfasts that can be grabbed early in the morning for, yeah. for my husband and for my daughter. I plan out the meals to where if I cook something for Monday, we'll eat that for Monday and Tuesday. Then I'll cook a yeah. fresh meal Wednesday. Because especially with being in school, I mean, it's really hard for me to be in the kitchen for two hours for dinner. Because I do. Yeah. Like, you're right. I like making sauces and roasting vegetables. And I have the very first oven that's ever been invented. So it takes, I have to go cut the wood, stoke the fire. Right. It's a very old oven. I mean, to be fair, I think there is food prep that can happen. This is incredibly boring podcasting. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, we, we do like batch tomato yeah. sauce or, you know, we live... We live the life where my husband is a farmer and we eat a lot of veg, like B-grade veg <laughs> that we aren't selling. And I think, you know, we do do some of that, like, prepping out components, I guess. Um, but it's not – it's it's also a little bit more long-term of, like, what can we freeze? What can we can? How can we spread this out for, you know, the whole season <laughs> rather than for the week? 
Yep. So we've got, apparently we need to do a mini-sode and or full episode about, I think, like I said, I think it's the culture that I think that's the culture around the term. I don't, I don't like diet and weight loss culture and I do not like ultra fit culture because those are not, those are not values (laughs) that I have in Um, my life. That one's, that's a toughie. Like I said, there are, are benefits. I think it's a healthy thing to do, but to me, just like, just reuse your leftovers plan. So you don't have to, it's, it's a whole thing. You don't need special containers and or to film it. So it's, and this is nothing but like, this is nothing but love. Like show your food. I'm a chronic food taker. I love my food. It, I have like pictures of my daughter, 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 soup daughter daughter sandwich like i have no shame in that whatsoever but i think it's just when there's like specific expensive containers Mm. and like danny's it's it's brown rice quinoa chicken broccoli done and i'm just like "Mm, where's the sauce of any so yeah i think uh, and it took us five minutes to get there but i I think (laughs) i think my my bigger issue is with this like idea of life hacks like why does it have to be a life hack can't it just be life? Like, this is how you live life. It's not a life hack. It's just life. Just like that, a new segment is being birthed <laughs> right before our, the listeners' ears of um, why... Dan and Jamaica live life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a hack. It's life. There, I'm serious. We're after this weird new, new segment, new segment. It's not a hack. It's life. But today we're also talking about things like we don't know why things have to be spun, why they have to be labeled, why they have to be changed, why they're looking at something that's within white straight mainstream culture. It's we're trying to tackle a pretty large topic today. So so hang in there with us, unicorns. We have been dancing around this topic for a while and we've not been shy about the dumpster fire that is climate change. Mm hmm. And how terrifying it is and how utterly hopeless we we're starting off on a good note, how utterly doomed we feel about it. Uh, in April of 2019, we kind of scratched the surface of environmentalism. Uh, please go check out that episode. It's episode 13. You have to scroll for a while. You can just link it in the I wanted the children to work for it. But yes, you're right. We can be hip and we'll we'll put it. You're completely right. We'll put it in there. But today, however, we're going to take a little deeper dive into our fears, into our concerns and anxiety and talk specifically about climate change and its relations to people of color and addressing those issues in that relationship. Mm hmm. Yeah, and before we dive in, and we talked about this on the last episode, we're not here to tell you that climate change is real because mm. we're assuming we're all meeting on on that base level assumption. Uh, so if you don't believe climate change is real, please do not engage with us in that conversation because we're not here to have that conversation with you. Okay, love you. Bye. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. It- Word, word, word. This is not what it's for. Uh, please, please, please go and, and research and, and examine I mean, your you're heart. welcome to stay and listen. Ah. But we're just, we're not going to have that conversation we're, here. We're not defending something that's real. We, for two people who, who waste time talking a lot. <laughs> a lot of time. A lot of time who just got talked <laughs> about food prep. We're not going to prep that conversation. Yeah. So we're going to try to break this down 
a, a little bit, but we kind of first want to crack into this idea of uh, the carbon footprint, which I yes. know gives me that haunts me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over concerned. I think Danny and I actually had a conversation last week about carbon footprint of like Danny and trying to encourage me in my life. And she's like, Oh, get, get, get paper bowls. I'm like, but the turtles, what about the turtle? Like, the carbon footprint like haunts me. Do you, yeah, you this, yeah. this personal responsibility, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about it. Uh, but I also, I feel like I don't feel it as deeply as other people around me, perhaps. Um, I've I've seen it impact people very deeply uh, and the concern of, of this idea of carbon footprint and individual responsibility. I think I try to be as mindful about that as possible without it letting be let it become all consuming and i think you know it's it's always this idea of weighing personal responsibility and systemic change which is something that we talk about a lot with all issues and so i think just holding holding that space and allowing it to be a little bit of a scale um we can't shift all of the blame, even though it should mostly all be there. Um, to Go the ahead system. and say it. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I do think we need to feel like we have a little bit of agency, but I don't think it should be all consuming. I mean, we're, when we're talking carbon footprint, we're talking carbon dioxide and all of this, like, what what is the big, the big amount that's actually in the air? Like it's not individuals, right? Like yes, individuals benefit from these systems, but I don't know. I I think that conversation also is a little misguided. But I don't want to get too far off off topic. What's your feeling about carbon footprint? <laughs> it's such a sham. No, it's it is. It is yeah. such a sham. Here's the thing. I com- I utterly agree. That when it comes to how we consume, what we do with our waste, how we use our resources, absolutely needs to be accounted for. We need to be, like Danny said, very mindful and aware of our inputs and outputs, especially when it comes to our very limited, either non-renewable or very slow renewable resources. That's called being a responsible human being. Uh, That's... I, I, there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. In fact, I think it's encouraged to be a little bit more aware of what's going on. The The problem I have with the carbon footprint is that it was created by these big companies in order to shift the focus from their actual responsibility for CO2 emissions from their responsibility to personal responsibility. It was actually linked to BP, which is British Petroleum. And it was, it literally had these people come from all around and marketing and advertising and, and, and all of us to kind of come together and create this carbon footprint calculator where you mm. put in what you do, what you drive, what you eat, what your house is like. And they can tell you how green you are, or how much you're in, in impacting the environment. And it is so detrimental. It's such a scam. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, we should think about 
global responsibility and change in mindsets when we're talking about climate change. But I think I think you're absolutely right. This is a deflection tactic to really make people feel bad about themselves. Girl, like I already have enough guilt. If I forget my shopping bags, I will turn my shirt into a bag. Like I'm just so tired of the guilt and the shame that comes from just being a human that exists. But my bigger issue with this deflection is that it's once again pointing that finger outward that big massive corporations are doing and where it's pointing at is where I have the issues. So of course, I, I think if anyone has read anything slightly environmental or care, it's easy to say that cities also get the big rep of, hey, you have bigger CO2 emissions. There's a lot more waste coming from cities, both physical and human waste. You use up a lot more energy, right? So once again, these companies are like, look at these cities. We need to transform these cities. We need better city planning. We need more efficient transportation, which all of these things are true. We need better city planning. We need greener resources, more sustainable housing that's more eco for we need all of these things. But but at the cost of whom? Yeah, and I think cities get kind of a bad rep. Like yeah. I think in terms of pulling resources, cities make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're talking about large environmental impact, if cities were more self-sustaining, then perhaps it wouldn't be so bad. Exactly. And but they cities themselves, because they have so many people and a lot more resources, they can quickly change. Very much out support, like out support of like rural or even further out suburban areas that actually might take a long time to actually come up with some real viable environmentally friendly change. Yeah. Uh, but my issue is also with at the heart of cities, we normally are going to find marginalized people and people of color. Right. And I think that also just says a lot about the the purpose of putting it on the individual. If they're saying cities are to blame and cities inhabit mostly and densely, I'll say densely, people of color, then who are they putting the finger at when it comes to this climate crisis that we're in? Yeah, no, I think that that's absolutely right. And, you know, you see it in in kind of the attitude towards environmentalism, which we don't have to spend too much time here because that was the point of the whole other episode. But I think, you know, there is a lot of finger pointing that goes back to people of color and goes back to low income people who a lot of whom are people of color. And it's, you know, it, 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 it's like a buck stops here sort of situation where it shouldn't be because who who's profiting off of these systems. It's not the poor people of color. It's not the poor white people. It, it is corporations, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to <laughs> push back and see see who who has created the system, who is benefiting from the system. And mm-hmm. I think the the carbon footprint thing is really interesting because when we're talking about carbon, carbon dioxide, emissions, all of those sorts of things like reactive gases, reactive gases in our atmosphere actually kind of are short lived. 
carbon dioxide is not short-lived, right? Once it's added to the atmosphere, we're looking at 300 to 1,000 years that it's there. and Just chilling. Yeah, and I think that is part of the conversation that people are having, this larger conversation about carbon dioxide in the environment. It's, well, who is the biggest producer of it right now? It's China. So there's a lot of finger pointing to China, too. And that is also like pointing to poor people and pointing to people who are not benefiting from the system. Why is China using all of this energy? A lot of it is manufacturing. Where is that going? A lot of it is export. Like, who's benefiting? And if we take another step back, we look at historically since industrial revolution, who has put by far the most carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? The U.S. Since 1872, 1872 is when the U.S. became the lead producer of carbon dioxide. Oh, it's girl. so... It's and just they, a little industrial revolution about yeah, anybody. 1872... <laughs> And we were not usurped until 2006. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's 134 years. That's that's the truth. And that's, once again, we're taking that mirror to yourself, right? Yeah. And talking about what the bigger picture is when we're talking about climate change and global warming. And right now, I do believe we're that, that terrible Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing to each other. Mm. Do you know which one I'm talking yeah. about? Um, uh, there's that one, but then there's the one I like more is the office meme <laughs> with the, the fake guns. <laughs> yeah. We just dated ourselves hellaciously with yeah. both of them. Uh, and, and that, uh, to me, that's what makes it incredibly frustrating about most issues but mm-hmm. particular at that is that it's too busy pointing the finger and we're still profiting off the poor. It, it comes back to privilege doesn't it and i'm i'm lumping us in that privilege it's yeah. not just white people like we often say but as as americans we feel privileged and entitled to a certain way of life and we we just take that for granted remove that from the equation and then point fingers and i think it's similar in terms of carbon footprint we think of companies and corporations as having a certain amount of privilege and right to things remove them for from the equation and then who's left to be blamed mm. well we i think what's really difficult with something like environmentalism is that we don't realize it has to be on a scale especially even in developing countries to where because like you and I we we have privileges we need to keep things like food safety and sustainability and our admissions at a higher level than someone who is uh, suffering from like food insecurities and and deserts and yeah. do not does not have reliable transportation uh, dr- clean drinking water other massive issues that are the byproduct of environmental hazard you know yeah. and i think we're thinking there could be a blanket fix across the board and when people cannot have they don't have the privilege of meeting up to that standard then they get the finger point at them right you know it's it's horrific i, I was even just reading about of course uh, uh, eating red meat. I'm a red meat eater, not tons, but I do. And we're talking about like that and how much that negatively impacts climate change. And they're like, well, we need to start 
raising the price of beef because we need to be able to raise it properly. And if it was raised properly or shrinking down in numbers and it will cut down in, in, in greenhouse gases and all of this. But I'm thinking like and, and putting shame towards quickly cheap manufactured beef. And I'm thinking about people who are like, they can barely afford what's out there now and keeping them to the standard of they, if they cut out this protein, if they would just stop buying it, if they just start mm. buying more organic, then if we all did that, I'm like, but we don't all have that privilege. But if they don't, then they get that finger pointed to them. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. And it's a complicated issue, right? Because I think part of it is tied up in survival and part of it is tied up in values. And I think as Americans, there's this idea that we all have shared values, but that's not true. And I think everyone kind of sets sets their own values, right? Like, for instance, like, I drive a really shitty car. Like, could I, in theory, go out and buy a better car? Could I get financing and get a better car? Yes, I can, but I choose not to. And I think, you know, shitty car has higher emissions. Like, there's there's different sorts of trade-offs that people make consciously um, towards the environment. And some of it is survival and some of it is value-based. And sometimes it's both, right? Like, I, I spend less money on a car because having, like, organic, <laughs> like, high-quality food is important to me. And that's, like, the bulk of my money it goes towards food and i think that's that's a value that i am able to live because i do have a certain amount of privilege but it's also a value that i'm able to live because i do make other trade-offs in other parts of my life and i think when we're looking at like the whole person we have to look at those different trade-offs that people make just because someone isn't eating all organic, whatever veg doesn't mean that they don't care about the environment. They're likely living it in a different way, right? Because who amongst us aside from like the billionaires could choose to make all of the quote unquote right decisions about the world. I feel even being able to, discuss and talk about climate change is a privilege mm. i i really do some of us just kind of have to just fester with the doom which is what i think we also want to talk about today of just having to try to put all of these factors in can be really overwhelming and taxing on your mental health yeah yeah and there there is a whole a whole term for this idea of climate anxiety and it is something that increasingly has come into the public discourse over the last I don't know, five years, maybe it's even longer. But this idea, this is exactly what you're articulating to me, that this like feeling of doom, that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of helplessness. And it, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about last week with settler colonialism, right? Like it's like these systems are so big. How can I how can I make a difference as an individual? What can I do? I feel just deflated by the whole thing. I think to me, that's what climate anxiety is. And I, I, I read something really interesting that in Maine, 
uh, 63% of therapists in Maine have clients who are working with so-called ecological stress or climate anxiety. 63%. Um, oh, and so, my goodness. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's no coincidence, I think, because... The Gulf of Maine is warming faster than 99% of the world's ocean. Uh, So I think they're feeling a lot of direct impacts of climate change. And they have a large population, a large amount of their revenue in their state is things like tourism, is things like lobster, Maine lobster, and the lobsters being impacted by these warm Gulf temperatures, like all of it. So people are feeling it in their day-to-day lives and they're feeling overwhelmed with this climate anxiety. I think there's also the fact that Maine has a very high white population and white people tend to feel climate anxiety in larger amounts than people of color. And I think part of that is what you were talking about, Damika, in in terms of people being more concerned with survival or other things, (laughs) they don't have the energy to feel that constant anxiety about the environment because they have constant (laughs) anxiety about other things. It isn't that people of color do not care about the environment because, in fact, there have been lots of studies done, and I've yet to see a study that contradicts this, but the majority of people of color care are concerned about the environment. And in fact, p- people of color tend to to rank it as um, a higher concern when it comes to like politics and election than, than white people. It's like the numbers are, are quite stark. There was a, and I know you found a, a different study, but one that I found talked about, and this was through Yale and George Mason University, Uh, people who were alarmed about uh, global warming, 22% of white people are alarmed, whereas 27% of Black people and 37% of Hispanic Latino people are alarmed. And that's just, that's alarmed. That's like the most extremist, but like Mm -hmm. in every, every category, like concerned, cautious, it's, it's higher for people of color than white people. And, and that's the thing. And we're talking about climate change and the anxiety and the finger pointing, like who ultimately does this rest upon and who, who ultimately feels responsible for this? Cause I, I think you find that there, there are people of color who desperately want to make the change and want to do that, but they do not have that privilege of letting that be their main focus. And so we have the, the, the white populace, this this dominant culture that tends to be on the forefront and tend to be kind of louder voices when it comes to the concern and the urgency of it, kind of, and it looks like they're leading leading the way, and it yeah yeah calls it an issue a divide, like oh why why aren't there more people of color at marches? Why aren't they up here getting jobs? Like like bi- biologists, why aren't they pushing policies for this? Do you not care? And it's. It's so detrimental because I do believe people of color have a lot of the answers and key to a lot of problems of, of solving climate change because it's just naturally inherent within the culture itself. Yes, yes. Uh, people of color typically have to 
what's the word, not adjust, but but kind of come up with innovative solutions in the moment to address mm. problems. And because we're talking about people who have generally lived with different sorts of oppression, different sorts of um, anxieties around the world, already used to making those adjustments on the fly and living with it. Whereas when we're talking about white people and climate anxiety, what we're looking at is it's people who have been insulated from oppression, waking up and realizing they have this unlivable future, right? Where a lot of us have kind of like felt that already and have like been working towards how do I make the future more livable already? So I think we're, like you said, already have some solutions to work with. And I think to your point about, you know, white people leading the charge against climate change, I think oftentimes that response feels suffocating (laughs) for people of color. It's like the same sort of feeling as white fragility. Like it's literally like in the room, you lose all of your air and it seems like all of a sudden all the resources are going towards appeasing this dominant group rather than addressing the issue at hand. Right. Mm, yeah. I mean, I mean, girl, tell me, tell me you did not experience this when we mentioned things like Black Lives Matter, critical race theory. What about the environment? Did you experience any of this? Because I experienced this and it, you're right. It just it just feels like you've been pushed out of a space shuttle and it just takes your air out of your lungs and freezes you to your core. It is just. Yes. Yes. I care about the environment, but the thing is, I it's hard for me to plan for a better future when I when tomorrow's not guaranteed to me as mm-hmm. a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for me, oftentimes when I hear this term climate anxiety, it does feel a bit like white people wanting to hold on to their current way of life or. You know, we we hear this a lot with COVID, get back to normal. It's like, what does that even mean? What does get back to normal mean? What does it mean for oppressed people? What does it mean for people who are already struggling? Like, just because all of a sudden you feel a very real, tangible struggle doesn't mean it's the first time anyone has felt that way. And I get it. I know the environment is super important. And if we destroy the planet, we're all fucked. Girl. But like, I am not disputing that. It's true. Period. It impacts all of us. But I think instead of addressing climate change in a way to appease the the masses of white people who feel like their way of life is being questioned because of climate change, we need to readdress it and use it as a way to collectively vision for a liberated future for everyone. And and we've talked about this before with Black Lives Matter and things. And, and for me, I think the best way to frame it is to think about the people at the bottom. Like, how can we create a world that's safe for the the people at the bottom? Because then by, by necessity, 
that will mean liberation for everyone. And I think we we spent a lot of time in the previous episode talking about this, but a lot of times the impacts of like environment destruction, of climate change, all of that is so tied into racialized violence, right? So I think it, it's impossible to talk about one without the other, but I think there's a different attitude in recognizing how they are intertwined and zippered yes. together in addressing it than a group of people talking about Black Lives Matter and then a, a lone white voice over here saying, but the environment, like that isn't, that isn't a way to address it. But by addressing it as one collective issue is a way to address it. Exactly. Like, girl, I, I, I don't even know if we're even at the wrap up, but that in itself is like the true essence. There was this, I, I will, we don't have time for it. I'm going to link a really great article that really talks a little bit more in in depth, but there's a a quote from Toni Morrison that when I had me in tears, I was sobbing because I was there. And this is what it is. The very serious function of racism is distraction. Mm -hmm. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again, your reason for being. And when I, Sorry, I'm like getting choked up again. <laughs> no, don't do it. Do it, Tamika. <laughs> Let it all out. Because I, when we have that lone voice, right, like saying the white voice screaming at like a, a group of people saying Black Lives Matter and crying out for justice, the initial reaction is how could you not care about the environment instead of saying, look at all these people who cannot focus on anything else if once again if i looked at this as a very intertwined topic if i can help fight white supremacy that will free up these people to be able to think about the global future and that should that should actually make you go harder to fight white supremacy like looking at that should make you a fierce advocate should make you a brutal ally should make you an unapologetic a co-conspirator saying like you said looking at that bottom part right because it's shaped like a pyramid right we have low people at the masses blowing up the the bottom of existence and it's like if you go and liberate and free them think about how much more resources experiences options that you'd be able to have for your call even if it's completely selfish right it's a start Think about how many more people can be for your cause if they were actually liberated and free. And it just, it does. It makes me so emotional because um, in this article and even in my own life, there's so many people who would probably have loved to gone to school for biology and be able to be on the forefront for fighting for yeah. environmental policies, but they can't because they're going to school to be lawyers. They're going to school to be judges. They're being social workers there that's what they're doing because they don't they don't get to do that and in this article what really got me they thought sorry take your time (laughs) i think about all the books and all the plays and all the songs and all the research and all these wonderful things will never be done or that had to be put on pause because all of our resources and time and energy have had to go to just existing and defending that existence and to fight for that existence. And that is very hard. That is very, very hard to explain to some people who whose number one goal is environmentalism. And you're trying to explain that racism is what is keeping you from yeah. fully being there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a really important point that you brought up and I have a couple of thoughts on it. One is I think it's, it's not only people who are, who are trying to survive in the sense that they have to like switch their career goals or do something else in service to themselves or in service to their communities or in service to their family. But it's also, this is why we're, we talk about so many things being intertwined. Like, Let's take a moment to think about the prison industrial system Mm. and think about all those black men who have been completely robbed of those opportunities just by existing in a black male body in this world. Like, I, I think there's there are many, many oppressive systems that are set up to keep people from succeeding. And I think capitalism is a huge one. And I think uh, an argument for capitalism is always like the market will drive it or, you know, the, the best ideas will rise to the top. But we are not set up in a system that allows everyone that same access to sharing their ideas, to sharing their knowledge. Like if we really cared about being the best as a country, we would be supporting all children from all walks of life in order to share whatever it is that's like inside of them, their passions, their potential, like really spending that time and energy to unlock everyone's potential. But we do not do that. It is an elitist system that privileges the few. Yes, there are stories of individuals who rise up, right? We've yes. talked about this before, too. We've talked about Barack Obama, like a black man who has risen to the top, a biracial unicorn who has become president of the United nope. States. Does that mean that? Yeah. Does that mean, one, he did it on his own? Does that mean, two, that like it's possible and open to everyone? No. The answer to both those questions is no. Uh, so I think there there is a lot there. Um, and for me, and we've we've brought this up recently, and it, it was something we talked about our very first episode. For me, everything comes back to race. Yeah. I think like I can circle everything back to race. So that's why that is the most important issue to me. Is because I feel like so many of these systems are are rooted in a racist system. And this was something that my husband and I struggled with for a long time because he is very passionate about environmentalism. And we literally had years of our lives together where like he was most concerned about environmentalism. And I'm over here saying, no, everything's about race. Everything's about race. Like miss me with this stuff because (laughs) you're not talking about race when you're talking about not, you know, using straws or something. Um, He's, he's very uh, not about these like individual actions anymore. And it's like, since like reframed the way that he thinks about it. Um, Whole episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think, you know, it, it is, it is really, really sad because if we wanted to address these issues and come up with these large systemic options, then we should once again be focusing on this huge resource we have, which is people. Like people Thank you. is a huge resource we have, but we're not supporting people. Exactly. Mm, done. I'm gone. I'm packing up. I'm putting the kettle back on. Like you're 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 missing out when when we as a collective are not fighting white supremacy in order to release 
that amazing resource. And I will say, if you don't think environmentalism in this country is rooted in white supremacy, I'm going to, I'm going to, even after all that, I'm going to like plant this little nugget for you to kind of open up another rabbit hole for, for you to explore because the earliest environmentalists in this country were anti-immigrant eugenicists and Mm. their ideas were later borrowed and adapted by Nazis in order to implement their ideology rooted in blood and soil, right? So I I think like when we're looking at lineage of environmental thought in this country, you have to also recognize that it was built on this anti-immigrant white supremacist ideas. My environmentalism, my care about the environment is not going to be, it's not a xenophobic care of the environment. It is not an elitist care of the environment, right? Like when we're talking about climate change and undoing the impacts or lessening the impacts or visioning a future where we can still survive, we need to think about climate justice. That is so good. Oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm totally fine. It just, I, I like when we, the loss of resources of people like that, that just gets me. Cause like I said, we think about that way as far as like environmentalism, mental health, we said social justice, like just breaking constructs of, of gender, addressing and demanding, uh, like, you know, the the wrongs of like religion, like all of these things can just be, have such a powerhouse behind it. If this amazing resource of people was, was unhinged, was, um, was freed, was released. And so that just really, I'm kind of undone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always game to talk anti-capitalism, but I think for me, this is like a big problem that I have. I think the the industrial revolution was supposed to like free up opportunity, right? Like we have machines doing our work and all this stuff. And as technology has advanced, it's supposed to have freed up more and more time, but it hasn't, especially for poor people. Like Mm -hmm. people are, are stuck in these cycles where they're just fighting for survival and fighting to live and fighting to make enough money to survive. And people can't vision and dream for the future. People cannot follow their passions and be the best contributor to society that they could be. And if we have the resources in this country to do that, we have the resources like for people to work less hours, like we have essential jobs and things that need to be done. If we could like redistribute wealth, work less hours, open up more time for people to explore what they have to contribute to society, like Imagine how awesome the world could be. Imagine it. Like, and I, for one, would work like three hours, like, you know, doing something less desirable than what my job is now, if that mm-hmm. meant that I had all the rest of that time to pursue like my passions. Right. Right. And it's, ugh. and I think that's what's defeating about technology, right? Is that you're right, it was supposed to help us. And that that it never circled back into its own improving because it became about uh profit at the end. 
technology actually is in turn in some aspects being helpful towards climate change. You know, we have, we we, we can't do it without the equipment, right? We we can't do that. We can't make it better as we study, but because that's the amount of money and effort and time and resource that goes into technology that's actually into the betterment of our environment pales in comparison to production. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it comes back to this people as resource being used to create profit uh, and to, you know, further, further this, this goal of wanting to hoard as much wealth as possible. And Mm. so instead of treating people as, as a resource to tap into ideas and tap into visioning and to collectively plan and live and explore. It's literally, we are all just Bezos's bitch. <laughs> I knew his name was going to come up eventually. <laughs> I was like, where are we going to fit? Where are we going to fit that name into? But uh, so what, what is the, we have had a lot of doom, a lot of gloom, a lot of feeling of hopelessness, tears, which I'm really salty about. Uh, I, you're even wearing yeah, the pin. I know, I know, I know. Actually, uh, so uh, so prophetic. Um, what what's the takeaway? Like how how do we leave this conversation today? Uh, I think I think there is a lot to be done in the world, and I think that first and foremost, of course, we have to be concerned with survival. But I think there also has to be room and space to collectively vision for the future. And so I think some of it is is as simple as as reframing in order to figure out what your next steps forward are. So instead of questions like, where is the hope? Uh, how can I save the planet? <laughs> what can I do to feel better? Like, those are not the questions that we should be asking, right? I think one question is, how am I connected to all of this? Who am I in this system? Who are others in this system? How are we all interconnected? What are the traditions of environmental stewardship that already exists that can be guides for all of us moving forward. But I I also think probably the most important question is where are we going from mm. here? Like I've I've talked about this before. I think always the best step instead of thinking about what do I need to change here to make the the future better, we need to first think about what that future is and figure out the backward steps for us to get to that future. Mm, I really like that. I, I think that's imagining that and, and do it like without, without, without abandon, like go, like what Danny said, imagine what it looks like for every kid to have the opportunity to be the best that they absolutely can be. And and the fact that I even hesitate to use the word best, because in my mind, I've already like hopelessly checked that out of my brain, but go there and to imagine. And I think the only thing I would, I would ask for that is to dare to ask yourself who is actually profiting off of whatever I'm, I'm supporting or thinking or, or doing. And I think that has a lot to do with mindfulness and a whole, when it comes to environmentalism, you know, who's profiting off of 
if I'm supporting a environmental group, if, if, if I'm reading a certain book, if I'm asking a certain one, who is off the, like profiting, you know what I mean, off of this and who is shouldering this burden on the backs of whom, you know, I think that those are the two things when I ask myself those questions, it leads to more questions of like, well, what do I do with that, with that information? Not like, how do I solve it? Who's making money off of this? And how do we hold that accountable for change? You know, and who is shouldering this burden of environmentalism? And how do we liberate that? Yeah. And I, I think there is a certain amount of acceptance that has to happen. Like, mm. we are in this house that is on fire. Like, <laughs> it, and we can't keep living like we are not. Right. Yeah. But, th- but we also can't just sit here and be like, okay, the house is on fire. Yeah, right. Like, that's not what we can do. (laughs) We feng shui in this dumpster fire. You can really just the energy in it is just so much better. Yeah. Uh, So I think it is a combination of of what you're saying, like figuring out who we need to hold accountable and who is profiting from these systems. I think there is also an aspect of it that has to be about resiliency and like mm. self-reliance, unfortunately, I think, you know, we that doesn't self-reliance doesn't mean you're just completely individualistic thinking about yourself. But I think it can also mean like thinking about your community, thinking about like your city, your town, like how do we make our existence sustainable? Mm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that keeping our existence the same as it is right now, Mm -hmm. um, holding on to the way of life that we have right now, but thinking about sustainability in terms of living in the world that, that the world, the world is becoming, the world is changing. And we've talked about that at all. Like we've talked jokingly about the water wars and those sorts (laughs) of things, but like, I don't think it's really science fiction. Like it is, you know, it's so unseasonably warm here right now. And who knows <laughs> in the next week before this episode comes out, if it's going to end up being like snowing. I don't know. I don't know. Like it, And we can't count on those things anymore, but we need to be able to plan to adapt to those things as they come up. Mm. While while making the world better somehow. <laughs> it's like not releasing the tension, but also realizing we have to release some of right. this tension. Yeah, we have to keep this like, to go back to the burning house metaphor, we have to yeah. keep those beams from falling mm-hmm. on our heads. But we also can't just like maintain this burning house, right? Yeah. We have to We have to acknowledge where we're at, deal with that, and figure out a plan to help mitigate the problem as much as possible the point to what you're saying is like even just like in your everyday life if and this is something i struggle with we're thinking about what the world could possibly be that is good i think it's that's sound advice but you're right as far as like today today what you should do is like for me for me to my daughter's school what does that look like to live in that and what does it look like to have that kind of sustainability like me going to the grocery store every few days what does that look like what does my community need there is so much garbage and trash like what does that look like if we start looking maybe a little less like we talked about the inward gaze and start thinking about just our everyday and ask yourself how do i live those small steps of just how do i live will i think encourage you in a time to where it's like I don't know. Part of me doesn't want to leave this episode encouraged because it's real and it, you do have to sit in reality. Yeah. 
that I mean, we're not dulling out answers. We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> like, but I, I don't know. Sometimes just asking myself, like, how do I live? How do I want to live? How am I living? How do I live my, my day-to-day life is oddly helpful, even in the time of the great dumpster fire. So, yeah, yeah. And I mean, this goes back to our, our point at the top of the show. Like, we aren't addressing whether or not climate change is real. Mm-hmm. But I think there are some people who feel the impacts more real than others. And I think there's going to be a change in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, where more and more people are going to feel it on a day-to-day basis. Because I think a lot of people right now have the privilege of not feeling the impacts regularly. So it can just go into the back of your head and you don't have to think about it. And I think that, yes, part of the struggle is putting yourself in a mindset where you do have to think about it, but you're not just hurling yourself full into the depths of climate anxiety where you can't Girl, act. You know it. how I roll. I don't like being called out when we have guests. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I think, and, and I think to your point about people of color being more equipped to deal with it, I think we've talked about this throughout. I'm just like pulling in threads from all these mm-hmm. other episodes, but I think so many people of color already have a lot of anxiety that we live with in the in the day to day like we talked about this at the beginning of covid like for me covid like staying home and all these this uncertainty and all these feelings to me it felt like textbook my worst days of depression but like without feeling sad so i was like oh this i've been here like this yeah. is comfortable i know what this feels like mm-hmm. and i think sometimes that's the way i feel about climate change is like mm-hmm. a high level of anxiety like I know what this feels like. I've been struggling with anxiety for like over 30 years. Like I know what this feeling is. So I'm not going to get too lost in this feeling because like great emotion is is important and strong emotion can lead to change, but it doesn't always lead to the right kind of change. Mm. So it's learning how to channel that emotion in a productive way, if that makes sense. Girl, honestly, that in itself, I would love to just like unpeel of how to make like that not that pain productive because that that's a yeah. we don't want to start right that that's no we gross. don't we don't need to light ourselves on fire for other yeah. people's enjoyment yeah. girl not... been there done that <laughs> still smell like ashes right 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 <laughs> like but but you're right of like what does it look like to to direct that you know not use it but what does it look like to direct it as someone who yeah. who feels a little too deeply yeah and and to that point too like Intense emotions a great way to mobilize a group of people too, but we know from history that it's not always for the good of everyone oh, <laughs> that mobilization girl. happens. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's talk. You want we've been talking about sustainability. Let's talk the sustainability of big, great emotions. That is yeah. just like a balloon that will go up and keep going until it hits atmosphere, and we'll yeah. never see it again. It is a one-way emotion. Once again guilty i have got my masters in it but it's like it's uh i do feel just as doom and gloom but in a better way after this episode i, I feel all right yeah, yeah. we we don't have have the answers no not a one not one but you know it's something we should care about 
and we do care about and it doesn't make it any easier (laughs) unfortunately it makes it really freaking hard guys but should we should we get happy let's do it making you happy this week, Tamika? I feel like progressively getting more and more basic with these. Like, I don't want to listen back to the list, but I feel like I'm hitting, I'm hitting a pretty basic wall. I'm not mad at it. I'm just Mm. hoodies. Hoodies are making me so happy right now. Yes, as Danny puts the hood on her hoodie. Um, I'm wearing flannel right now, so I'm actually not speaking of it, but (laughs) But that's that's too just like oh just like a good hoodie like as you know that's the at working or studying from home it's the uniform it's it's brilliant and um, it makes me a warm pair of leggings a hoodie a warm beverage girls about to get stuff done yes. done yes <laughs> I I love a hoodie I love a they're just cozy. You know, I love any sort of sweater, I guess, but a hoodie does definitely have a special place in my heart. It does. I have a love-hate relationship with hoods because I have a lot of hair and trying to shove it in, oh, I know. in a hood is, um, it's it's interesting to say the least. And it never, it always looks like you're smuggling a ham back there. Uh, but I will always, oh, I love hoodies. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that I... Like my signature hairstyles, like a giant bun on top of my head, in case you couldn't guess from our logo. Um, but you can't wear a hood with that because then yeah. you look like a cone head if you can even get that hood over it. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. What, what, what's making you happy? Hmm. You know, I did a bad job and did not prepare for this moment. Um, but, but I guess I can think back to the last 24 hours and tell you, uh, as always, there are few things that make me happier than a young adult horror novel. Uh, yes. I, was just like, I was feeling so overwhelmed with work and school and all the things. And I like had hit a wall where I'm just like, I can't. I have a, a draft due tomorrow and I literally cannot write. Like I am sucked dry. And so I was like, well, I guess I will be doing something completely unrelated to school and completely unrelated to work and just read a novel for pleasure. And so I, even though I spend a lot of time reading now uh, in school, there's something about reading something for enjoyment that is just so much more relaxing for me like engages me just enough like watching tv is great whatever but a i feel more tired and more drained after watching tv even though you aren't doing anything right Mm. but i feel like a book can like energize me in a way so reading for pleasure 
Oh, and actually it makes my, just because I've known you to be such a passionate, avid reader, like the thought of you not being able to do, like it like breaks my heart. It's like an essence of Danny that just not there. And I can imagine, did it help? Are you still yeah. kind of? Yeah. yeah, no, it totally yes. helped. But now, now the new battle will be this afternoon, actually writing, <laughs> even though I just want to read. <laughs> Oh, no. But it'll be fine. It'll be there waiting for me when I have a chance again. It'll be my, it's like, whenever you're ready, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) Just like picturing a book like in a sexy pose on the show lounge. (laughs) I'm seeing shaggy carpet. I'm just seeing a fireplace in the background. So nice. So nice. Mm, It's too steamy in here. It's NC 17 (laughs) up in this episode. All the pages showing. Oh, ooh, girls, ooh. vintage. Yeah. Cool. Oh, my goodness. Well, ah, that's <laughs> nice. On that happy note, we should wrap it up. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely let us know all your thoughts and feelings. If you have any ideas for yeah. combat- combating the climate crisis, as it were, definitely let us know. We'll try to put you in touch with people more powerful than us. <laughs> and knowledgeable, trained, and all the things. Yeah. You can reach us via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns. And we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. We want to give a huge shout out to Dolly Pop Art, who's made our very iconic, very accurate depiction of us please go check out her shop she's got lovely beautiful unique things go 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 we want to thank joseph scott of citizens of tape city who's done our intro and outro music and definitely a little shout out to sosmith photography who's done some of our in-person very precious photos of ours and also she has calendars for the dreaded 2020 2022 Oh, gosh, I'm going to be saying 2020 until 2025. Like, I'm just 2022 calendars. If you can think about it, please do a new calendar. Such a talented person. SoSmithPhotography.com. Order it because they will go fast. So Obviously, we can't keep track of years or dates. So we're assuming you're in the same boat. Yeah. So get the calendar and you'll be all right. (laughs) Cool. Um. As always, we do appreciate uh, a rate and review. Yes. If you got if you got a little extra time, that's a great way to support us. You can also check the show notes for a way to financially just support us if you would prefer. But we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with a full episode. Mm-hmm. All right. Peace. Out. <laughs> <laughs>